The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hand and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that is the message. You live, not in spirit only, but as a real person. And that gives us hope and a promise for our future too. Be with us as we hear your message and then as we go forth to share it this day. For we pray in the name of our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. And welcome to all who are here and to those who are watching, whether now or sometime later today or some other days. So welcome to all of you today. Um, some years ago, it's probably been at least five years by now, I was part of a small group of women and from around the country. We met in person, well, maybe twice or so during the year, and at one of those meetings, the leader brought in a, uh, a couple um, as special guests to, uh, to talk with us and share with us, and the, the, a husband and wife team, and they were talking mainly about relationships. But the husband started talking, uh, and his name is Tom, um, he started talking about beliefs, and that some of the beliefs we hold are really helpful beliefs, but some of the beliefs we hold uh, we either outgrow or they're really not so helpful. And to, to illustrate that, he talked about a friend of his. And he described this man as highly intelligent, someone who was, I, I think, Presbyterian, but a pastor who had a PhD in theology of some part of theology and taught at a prestigious um, divinity school. And 
Tom said that he could not understand how this man who was so educated, so reasonable, could believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It made no sense to Tom, because after all, well, for one, Tom is Jewish, but it still made no sense to him, because, you know, dead people don't come back to life and walk around. When I heard Tom say that, I was the only pastor in the gathering, the first thing that came to my mind was where Paul writes and talks about how the message of Jesus crucified, Christ crucified, is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. And I realized, that's still true. That wasn't just something for Paul's day. And I also thought, as I prepared for this sermon, I went back and looked through things. I've been a pastor for 41 years. And in the years of my ministry in a congregation, which wasn't quite 41 of those, I either presided at or was present and helped at over 200 funerals. And in addition to that, I was present at the bedside of other people when they breathed their last, including my own father. And I can tell you, in all honesty, not a single one of those people is up alive and walking around today. You know, that's true. What Tom said, in that sense, is very, very true. In the gospel reading today, as well as in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when it talks about the Easter story, none of the disciples started out believing that Jesus would physically rise from the dead. Even seeing the empty tomb did not convince them. Even when Mary Magdalene in John's Gospel has been there, she saw Jesus, she talked with him, and the evidence is she probably even touched him. That didn't make them convinced. You know, I hear people talk about death as uh, the spirit of somebody who, a loved one who has died, um, staying with them and um, bringing them comfort in that way. That th the presence, the energy of that person kind of lives on with them. And that's a wonderful, comforting thing to have that feeling. I hear other people talking about that when, um, when someone dies, the body is buried or cremated and the soul goes to heaven, like we become different pieces. And then there are other people who talk about that we are spiritual beings in a physical body, and that it sounds kind of like, you know, when a, a piece of clothing uh, gets worn out, that we discard it and just keep going. But these kinds of beliefs that I hear very frequently around these days are not new. They were there in the times of the, the second lesson. And that's part of what that letter is addressing. Although it's not as necessarily as clear in our reading today, but there was a belief at the end of the first century that Jesus Christ only seemed to have a physical body. He seemed to suffer. He seemed to die. And the underlying belief was that everything physical 
you know, the, the stuff around us and us as physical beings is really evil and bad. And that because Christ is good and inherently spiritual, it, that he could not have a real physical body. He could not really have suffered. He could not really have died. But the problem with that belief is then he could not really have risen either. There is kind of, even in this day and age, of a belief that everything physical is somehow flawed, uh, bad, ungodly, maybe even evil. And that kind of a belief has very subtle but significant consequences to it. For one thing, it means that we tend to ignore our own physical needs. We don't take care of ourselves necessarily all that well. And then it becomes easy to become insensitive to or even oblivious to the physical needs of other people. And it becomes also easy to hate someone who is in some way different from us, looks different, sounds different, and there's no need to have much care for animals or plants or the environment if it's flawed or inherently evil. But finally, that also means that really God no longer cares for this creation, including our physical beings, and that our physical lives have become somehow irrelevant to God and everything that God is about. But the second lesson and our gospel text emphatically tell us that God does not, is not distant from and is not detached from creation or us as physical beings. In Jesus, God entered fully into our human experience. Jesus knew what it was to be physically tired, hungry, sad, to, to, to crack a joke and to laugh. And yes, he did crack jokes in scripture, and even to cry. He felt physical pain. As a carpenter, I'm sure he had a splinter or two along the way, you know, that, that would not be unusual. But he also felt every one of those 49 lashes at his trial. And when the crown of thorns was put on, smashed into his head, he felt that. And when the nails were driven into his hands or wrists and feet, he felt that. And he knew what it was to have the slow suffocation of crucifixion. He felt every bit of that, just like we would. On Easter evening, when he appeared in that locked room, and a week later when he came with, and Thomas was there too, there was a physical person there named Jesus. Thomas touched, not an illusion, not a hologram, but a real person. I can't prove that Jesus physically rose from the dead. No one can. 
but believing that he did matters. It's the assurance that sin and suffering and death will finally be conquered. It's the assurance that God cares about all of us, our, our physical being, and all of creation, and that all of this was worth God redeeming through Jesus. And because this matters so much to God, Jesus sent the disciples to share that message of his resurrection, and he sends us too. And when he did that, he sent them with two very specific gifts. And the first was, he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. The disciples, and you and I are sent on the authority of God to share the good news about Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. In fact, none of the disciples were. You know, all of us are sent on nothing less than the authority of God, not the church, not some person somewhere, but God's authority. And it comes to us through the gift of baptism. We can do that in our jobs, as we work, as a volunteer, as a parent, as a Sunday school teacher, when we work on a committee, as an advocate for the environment, the times and the ways and the places to do this can vary greatly, but sharing the story about God's love in Jesus comes from the authority of God, nothing less. The second gift that Jesus gave to the disciples and to us is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the counselor, the comforter, the presence of Christ with us to teach and to guide us as we go through life. Jesus knew that we won't know all the answers to life's questions or the situations we encounter in life. And so he stays with us through the Holy Spirit. That is Jesus' presence with us today. We don't go it alone. He doesn't leave us out here to flounder around. And when doubts come, and they will, they become an opportunity for growth through the Spirit. The tomb is empty. Yes, it doesn't prove the resurrection. The message of Jesus' physical presence and resurrection matters. And like the disciples, we are sent out to share that message. That message is kind of like the story of Fritz Kreisler, who once coveted a beautiful Gornarius violin. He had heard the lovely tone of this violin, and he offered everything he possessed in order to buy it, only to find out that it had already been sold to a collector. That divine voice, he wrote, doomed to silence under a glass case in a collector's museum was a tragedy that rent my heart. So Chrysler kept on the trail of the collector, pleading with him for the violin. 
And finally, the collector took the violin out of its locked case and handed it to Chrysler and said, play. Chrysler tuned up the instrument and he played as though his life depended on it. Moved by that performance, the collector said, I have no right to it. Keep it. Take it out into the world and let it be heard. That is what Jesus calls you and me to do with the message of Easter and the resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus. That's what he sends us to do, to take it out beyond these walls, beyond our own walls, out to where there's COVID, out to where there are divisions, to where there's injustice, to where there's pain and suffering, to where there is life in this world. And we're called to take it out there to let it sing the praises of God through Jesus Christ. The result of that message is up to God, not to us. But it is our mission to take it there by the authority of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. The good news was and remains that Jesus Christ was physically crucified. He physically died. He was physically buried. And yes, he physically rose from the dead. That belief matters. It means that sin and suffering and death will finally be conquered. And it means that the whole of creation, that the whole of us, physically and spiritually, matters to God. Alleluia and amen.